Well, all right. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. Excited to be joining you here again. It's been a little hiatus for me, but definitely want to get back and continue our conversations that we've had 2020 and 2021. And excited to join you today in particular because of the guests that we have. Um, I've, you guys know, I'm on uh, social media a lot. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you know, I do my media platforms with CBS News, but um, in, in the process of doing this media thing that I've been doing, I've gotten a chance to interact with a lot of very interesting, uh, notable folks. And one of the folks that I've gotten a chance to do that with is our guest today. Um, it is uh, Dion Summers. He is the VP of Urban Radio for Sirius XM. Um, you may recognize his voice from Channel 46 on the Sirius XM stations, The Heat, which I am a big fan of. Uh, we were talking before in the pre-show, Dion, about uh, how that, that's gotten me through some, some rough times. So, uh, you know, definitely uh, very happy to chat with you and, uh, you know, say hello to the, to the listeners there. Well, first let me apologize to the listeners who come from a place of, a, of a political interest and intrigue and 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 beltway po- politic fascination uh regretfully you're talking to the guy who plays megan the stallion 80 times a week so uh i hope, hope you're not too disappointed but it is a pleasure to be with you joel man dion I, what you do also man there's no way they're going to be disappointed um i <laughs> i listen to you a lot and you know um i think one of the things that's so fantastic about the conversation we're going to have is that um, while I know you would not consider yourself a political expert, um, I think your voice and your impact is so important uh, to this moment that we're in politically right now because of um, all the ways that kind of politics, which used to kind of exist over in a silo, it, you, you can't get away from it. So whether you're running a radio station or whether you're running a gas station or whether you're wherever you are, you can't get away from it. And I think that's an important part of the conversation that we're going to have is just about the intersection between what's going on in the political space and also some of the work that you do every day uh, to keep us entertained and to uh, keep us with the hottest new music acts and uh, make sure that we know what's going on. So um, looking forward to a good conversation, Dion. My man, my man. Really Wonderful. This, man. Let's go. Wonderful. And, and Dion's joining us from New York City. Um, so, you know, Dion, I guess first, why don't you just start by maybe telling me a little bit about um, yourself, kind of where you come from professionally, just the, the work that you're doing there with, uh, with SiriusXM and kind of how you got there in your career. Mm-hmm. Thank you, man. Well, um, it all began with, with a love of music, honestly, man. You know, um, when I was growing up in Baltimore, I always loved music. And, and growing up in the 80s was a very crucial time for music specifically black music, right? Because you had so many so many different lanes intersecting, right? You had, you know, you had the, the birth of a strong crossover movement with Michael Jackson and Prince and Whitney Houston and, and Janet. You know, you had black music becoming the mainstream at that point. And you also had the undercurrent of hip hop, which at the time wasn't on the radio at all, you know, but was this burgeoning form of cultural expression that anybody who you know, was from the hood or hood adjacent could relate to, right? And could really, you know, uh, uh, hear themselves then. And it was a great time to just be a kid and just immerse yourself in that music. And I took it a step further, my love of music, because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and it took me years to admit that as an adult, that it's okay to say that. <laughs> but as a, 
as a nerd, I love music, but I also was intrigued by a certain, okay, so why do they say this on the radio? You know, as we listen to the radio, why, why are they number one for hip-hop and R&B? Who's making them say that? You know, why am I hearing, you know, Janet's control or Whitney's I want to dance with somebody, you know, every 45 minutes? Who's pulling these strings? Who's making these decisions? So in my 12-year-old nerddom, I was like, I want to find the answers to these questions. You know, I want to find out the why behind this music that I love. And so that made my love of music, you know, collide with my interest in radio. And, you know, I, I did the internship thing in high school. Um, I majored in communications at Syracuse, and I worked at the campus radio station and really, you know, gained a, a, a very uh, strategic, you know, intuitive knowledge about radio and about the biz, you know, through my internships and through college. Um, from there, you know, I, I worked in radio on the FM side um, in Baltimore, in Miami, in D.C. for a number of years. Um, and was really fortunate when um, Sirius XM at the time, XM, pre-merger, several mergers ago, um, approached me in 2006 because what I noticed was that, you know, the way that music is consumed is changing. And, you know, in, in 2005, in 2006, FM radio was still kind of the driver but you could tell platforms were evolving and listening habits were changing. And so, you know, I'm blessed to have been proactively kind of placed in the situation that I was to go from FM radio to satellite radio and to be more of a driver of, you know, how these music tastes evolve. You know, will FM radio continue to kind of be a driver in what we do? Absolutely. But it's become so fragmented now to the point where, you know, we're not recording our songs off the radio onto cassettes anymore, right? You know, we want music. We get our music. Oh, you're triggering you know, me, Dion. You're, you're triggering me now because that's that's basically how I grew up, recording all my music <laughs> on the cassettes. Me and my brothers trying to, trying to we tried to stop the tape right when it got to the commercial so we could the make sure mix. that we got the mixtape the right way. <laughs> Come on, man. I can play you old Memorexes with the same thing. Bro. That's right. Like, seriously, man. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to date, I don't want to date you. Uh, by dating myself or even vice versa. But I come kind of from a time in music where, you know, well, first off, um, my earliest, you know, music memories were Heavy D and the Boys. They were Run DMC. You know, my brother, uh, my older brother introduced me to NWA, Wu-Tang, uh, Nas, you know, Mob Deep. That's kind of, that. that is my era of kind of hip-hop. And then, of course, my parents, their influences were, you know, Luther Vandross, uh, the Whispers, uh, you know, the OJs, right? Yep. Folks like yep. that. I mean, what was what was that time period for you like? What were the formative uh, musical influences for you early on? I think we're right in the zone, man. Like when you mentioned like 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 the Mama and their music, the Whispers, and like I call those passenger seat songs because I can remember being in my mom's Dodge Aspen in the early '80s. Don't touch my radio, you know. Listening to the Whispers, right? listening to Ray Goodman and Brown, listening to Teddy Pendergrass, right? And that shaped my, my, my love of music by listening to what our parents listened to. But yeah, like you talk about like the golden age of hip hop, Joel, you hit it right on the head, man. I remember, you know, before radio played hip hop, we'd have to get our hip hop off of, I don't know if you remember the, the jukebox network. Oh yeah. Box. Oh yeah. 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 And so, yo, I'm calling up, you know, old MC Hammer videos, like before 
you can't touch this. I'm talking about turn this mother out, MC Hammer. Bro, I was, about, I was, I was, know, I, I had the Columbia House uh, membership where you get, you know, you pay allegedly, you pay one dollar and you get twelve CDs, but then you never, right. you never cancel your membership. And so, fifteen years yeah. later, you've accrued like three hundred dollars in in uh, in charges for Columbia. House. So two things, man. One, they're gonna come after you for that. I'm sure they are. Exactly. Oh, they want their money. Yo, if I had a, if, yo, every time there was a penny, and you could tape the penny to the page, we're really dating ourselves right now. But you can tape the penny to the page, and you get all this music. That's where I'm from too, man. Like Heavy D, definitely like Salt and Pepper. You talk about the early days of Nas. You talk about hip-hop crossover when it wasn't seen as selling out, when the Fresh Prince was just a cool guy who happened to have a sitcom. Yeah. Like, those kind of, like, I think about Diggable Planets. I think about Das Effects, man. I think about, you know, Onyx. I think about, like, all this old-school hip-hop that eventually got on the radio and really made radio more profitable, number one, because at the end of the day, you know, radio doesn't look at black and white. Radio looks at green, <laughs> You know what I mean? And, it, and if these people all love this music form, let's put it on the radio and make some money off of it. That's how that's how hip hop got on the radio in the early '90s. But yeah, all that man, it drove me like and 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 taking it a step further with the nerd, the man, like people are always surprised when they hear that like brothers listen to like rock music. How could we not? You know what I mean? Like I, I'm a child of MTV, so every time they played Prince or Whitney, you know, it was always behind it Bon Jovi, right? White Snake. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, like you know, I, I just appreciated all types of music coming up, man. But I had a special love, a special love for hip-hop, like, coming up, man. It, that's, like, in my soul, bro. That's what's up, man. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. We are joined this week by Dion Summers, VP of Urban Music with SiriusXM. He's telling me a little bit about his background, how he got to where he is. And, and you know, Dion is a means to kind of transition the conversation a little bit. Just on that point about music, um... I remember one of the earliest music memories I, I can kind of register. Um, used to watch on BET on Rap City, and they had the self-destruction. Uh, remember, self-destruction. You're headed for a self-destruction. And then they had the we're all in the same gang. We're at all, yep. We had kind of all those songs where you really had these musicians that were taking a stand to be kind of a part of what I would call the the civic zeitgeist, right? Like they're really, they are really embedded in what's going on outside of the recording studio. And look, I'm not saying that the folks today aren't very involved. Jay-Z is one of the most, um, you know, well-known philanthropists in the world. You've got people who are really, really um, kind of plugged into Matt J. Cole. I know he does some amazing things. I, I don't want to keep naming folks. I'm going to get them, but I definitely think that there was a little bit more of a tie to the music and to the moment back then, and particularly the issues that were plaguing, our communities. I'm curious about kind of your perspective about that as you think about the impact of that music and those musicians and the communities that they came from, that they hailed from. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, I remember we're all in the same gang. You know, I remember self destruction. Like to me, those were those are mottos. Are you there, man? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, so I, I remember those songs. They, those songs were mottos to me and. They were done at a time when, you know, no one else in hip hop had done that. It was more for responsibility. It was more for we have this amazing platform as artists. You know, what are we going to do with it? Right. Like, how are we going to, you know, inform as well as entertain? You know, there was no motive behind it. This was like, what, 1989. 
you know, this was public enemy saying fight the power. This was, you know, artists taking the movement into their own hands with no agenda besides we have to educate our youth. Our people are dying. So that's what made like those songs so, so, so fresh and so authentic was because it, it, it hadn't happened before. You know, prior to that in hip hop, we just wanted to dance, and have a good time. You know, this was the first socially, politically conscious hip hop that we've had. And as a teenager back in those days, you know, seeing firsthand, I mean, I'm from Baltimore, like, you know, it, 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 it was thick back in, back in B-more back in the day. So, you know, I knew what they were talking about and it resonated with me, you know, as a young black man coming up. And what I'll say about how we kind of, how hip hop is perceived now you know, it's always a balance, Joel. It's always a balance. Like, I'm always quick to, you know, I've got kind of one foot in the in the old school pool and one foot, you know, in the current pool. I'm always one to say, you know, before we compare, you know, music then to music now, let's understand the balance, you know, because, yeah, you know, now you've got CJ singing Whoopty, but you also have Lil Baby singing about rapping about the bigger picture you know you know you, you have that balance of politically or socially conscious and having a good time back then you had all in the same gang and you also had digital underground do what you like you know what i mean there's always been that yin and yang to hip-hop it's never changed you know granted what moves the needle now in terms of consumption and you know streaming and you know social media clicks tend to be on the side of the more sensational, you know, there's always been a balance of hip hop. I always say it's a pendulum and it swings back and forth. And sometimes it swings to that extreme, but eventually the pendulum is gonna swing back toward the center and you'll see, you know, we're all in the same gang in 2022. You know what I mean? Like that's just the way the culture goes. Like, like yeah, we wanna have a good time, but at the end of the day, we have unfinished business. So I don't think that, that element ever goes away from hip hop that we listen to. I think those are some good observations you know just just building on that a little bit you were on the air you've been on the air i think through a period of just some real um kind of foundational kind of social change and um i would call it um you know social change that's really intersected with every facet of society but really and truly political change too right i mean you, you're talking about going from an era where i i look i have a theory that before the Obama era, I think that you had an, an era where people more or less opted out, right? Now, look, you'd occasionally have, you know, I remember Jada Kiss had a line about like George Bush um, back in one of his songs about 15 years ago. And, you know, you'd have a couple rappers that be, you know, Goody Mob would, would talk about stuff with Bill Clinton and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, it, it, I don't want to say they kind of did the Michael Jordan Republicans buy sneakers too um, thing, but, but, for the, <laughs> but for the most part, I, I do think rappers tried to understanding the the growing fan base that didn't just look like me and you right of 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 rap audience they understood that that was a growing changing fan base long lead up to say um in the in the kind of last decade or so have you noticed a you know you you're i know you're talking to a lot of artists you're in the community you're in um you know in the hip-hop community are you noticing that artists are taking a little bit more of an initiative, taking more of an interest, or do they maybe feel a little bit more responsibility um, to, to chime in and the, the be counted and the stand up? 
Absolutely. I, I think that what's happening, Joel, is that like we're feeling it as black people. And whether you're an artist or, you know, a construction worker, like it's hitting you in a place where it hasn't hit you before. Like I turned 18 in 1992. So Bill Clinton was the first president that I voted for. Right. And, you know, at the time, as Gen Xers were like, yeah, we're changing the world, you know, Clinton, you know, but we were only involved and, 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 and engaged on a certain surface level, right? Same in 08, you know, when, when Barack was running, you know, yes, black people were, 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 were energized, man. We were, we were on it we were at the polls, you know, both times, like my president, that whole thing. But even then there was a level of surface level involvement. I think that if you could pull positives, <laughs> if you could pull positives out of the last four years of the previous administration, it would be we've become so much more politically engaged as black folk because we realize so much that's at stake than I think we've ever been. You know, I call my mother, you know, every night and you know, normally we talk about family stuff, you know, whatever. Mom is telling me about Michael Flynn on the phone. You know what I mean? Like, like, like she's engaged at a level that I've never, ever heard her engaged before. Did you see what happened? You see what he said last night? You know, drinking bleach? Like, it was a whole discourse that was never there before. And, and, and it really was dr driven home to me um, through what happened with, with, with the murder of George Floyd last year. That's when, you know, to me, politics has always been personal, but it became uber personal last year. And we realized how much power we have, you know, with the uh, with the runoffs in Georgia. We realized just how much power that we have to really affect the way things are done in Washington. I, I don't, you know, I think people kind of took for granted that my vote won't mean anything. You know, whatever, I vote, don't vote, who cares? I think that the last four years really kind of sharpened the fact that no, it really does matter what you do. Look at what we've been through. <laughs> Look at what we've had to suffer through. And if you don't do this in Georgia, if Georgia doesn't do this, then we won't get this. We don't get the majority in Congress, which means we don't get our stimulus money. We don't get A, B, and C. Like it was brought down to brass tacks, I think, in a, in a level where we haven't been engaged politically before Dion, talk um, about that talk about that george floyd moment a little bit more if you don't mind um which look mm -hmm. obviously um you know last summer was a, a summer of uh of kind of racial awakening uh depending on who you talk to it's either awakening or reckoning or um you know uh, essentially it was a moment where i think the reality that you and i as black men and that many black people have been experiencing for a long time kind of got mainstreamed and I think that um, folks, again, who don't look like us, started to realize uh, what was actually going on with an Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, right? Because George Floyd was the moment, but you had all these names that before, I think, were just hashtags that just kind of existed. And I think it kind of put meat on the bones. But I guess from your perspective, again, as someone who is, you know, you're talking to, um, to artists, but you're also talking to your listeners. And I think you have a, pr a unique perspective on this. Tell me a little bit about that moment in the job that you have with SiriusXM and just um, your your perspective on that. I, I think it, it was a moment of uh, a moment of, of allyship that I've never experienced before. I think it was a, a moment where you know we've known all along, and by we, I'll say we as black people, 
right? You know, very little surprises us about um, the ebb and flow of, of, of racial injustice in this country, right? Very little, very little, you know, shocks us anymore, unfortunately. Um, but what, we, what we've always said is that, yo, we've got to, we've got to, you know, make sure that the white people understand that this is not okay. You know, we need your allyship more than ever. Like we can stand on the mountaintop and and you know and and, and talk about the ills of society until we're blue in the face, but we need you to stand up there with us. And for the first time, post George Floyd, they were there with us. And I'll say, as 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 a um, as, as a manager uh, for SiriusXM, a manager of you know black and white colleagues. It was the first time that in a corporate setting, there was empathy, like there was real empathy toward what was happening. You know, um, I call it the crazy, you know, the, the, the crazy wheel, like we're always on this never ending hamster wheel. Every day is a new day, work, 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 especially working from home. It's a different dynamic. But for the first time, you know, there was empathy shown toward, you know, toward black colleagues and, say, and, and, and asking, are you OK? From a genuine place, from a genuine place, and it was taken a step further by companies like my own, like like SiriusXM, to where the programming changed. You know, I've been the head of urban programming. I've been the black guy in the black department, you know, my entire career. So, you know, I've, I'm used to certain things you'll get, certain things you won't. But ask for everything to see where it lands. You know, there was there was a lot more uh, uh, willingness to. To, 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 to go out on programming that appealed to black listeners right now, you know? And, and the cynical part of me, Joel, in the back of my head is like, okay, we'll see how long this lasts. You know, we'll see how long we're the shiny new, shiny new penny before things go back to normal, so to speak. Um, but in the meantime, let's milk this thing for all it's worth. You know, th- there was a sense of authenticity about it. Um, there was a sense of responsibility about it and a sense among black folk of finally and so what what the what what the what the power players did those in position to affect change you know like like the audio gatekeepers like myself and you know people at iheart and people at other uh, uh audio entertainment platforms as well as artists said it's okay let's take this and run with it you know let's make sure that it sticks this time for better or worse you know um and it'll stick until regrettably, you know, the next thing happens and then we'll find a way to kind of, you know, roundabout make that ha- happen then. Because, you know, here's the thing, man, like, um, you have to know your audience and understand that there are certain, there's certain lines that you can't cross, right? You know, you know, politics and religion with respect to your, your, your broadcasting public, right? You know, those are lines in the sand normally. Just don't go there. Huge red flags, right? You know, don't comment on the person's religion. Don't comment on the person's politics. You know, understand that if someone comes to listen to you on the heat, that they're not coming to find out if the stimulus bill has been passed yet. They don't come to you for that. They're coming to you to hear the baby. They're coming to you to hear Megan. They're coming to you to hear Drake. Period. Absolutely. So, so you've got to understand that, and and not cross that line. At the same time, though, you know we are, are encouraged to have points of view. So there's a line, very, 
very a very definitive line that 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 we can't cross. If you want to hear, you know, political opinion on the platform, there's no shortage of them. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 my friend Joe Madison will tell you all about how he feels. Oh yeah, Karen Karen Hunter, Joe Madison. You know, but, right? Yeah. Yeah, Karen Hunter will let you know <laughs> ten times from Sunday how she feels. God bless her. But on the music platform, it's just a different dynamic. So we just have to be aware of of of, of what our audience comes to our platform for, and and respond to that. And that's been that's been challenging. Like, okay, can we congratulate you know our new female black vice president? Yes, yes. But there's a line. You know, there's a certain uh, uh, certain place in that that we have to be be mindful of as as broadcasters. And that's why I enjoy doing things like this because I can kind of you know pull back the curtain and and express things like this because you know we have to be mindful of the fact that you know we're lucky to have blessed to have thirty six plus million subscribers. They don't all think like me, and 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 we have to we have to appreciate that and we have to respond to that. So here comes the Payne Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. I am joined, fortunate enough to be joined by Dion Summers, VP of Urban Radio at SiriusXM. We're having a great conversation just about his background in music, the intersection between pop culture, music, and politics, uh, how our worlds intersect. And Dion, I want to, you know, go into another topic here, and I will apologize if I stump you, but I, I... this has been something that's been on my mind. And, and look, I, I kind of take this from the political discipline. When you look at Donald Trump, our previous president, the 45th president, he made inroads in a way that I think was maybe alarming to, again, folks like me um, who, who work this. And, and look, I'm a Democrat. I kind of very clear about my politics. But he made inroads with black men, particularly younger black men. Over the course of his presidency. And I'll say this as someone who used to deny it and say that it wasn't real. No, it was real. Um, he made some inroads. Were they modest? Yes. Were they enough to swing the election? No, but but they were there. And we know that his strongest, the, the strongest base of Democratic voters right now are black women, particularly older black women. But we know the place that's the soft spot in that Democratic coalition. And I'm not asking you to work for a party right now. But I'm asking you to just kind of help maybe reach into the soul a little bit of what these listeners might be feeling um, we know that there are young black men who were swayed by part of the Trump message and I guess again just with your interactions do you detect where that might come from is that a distrust of the system and someone like Donald Trump who was kind of like a you know he was the chaos monster he was a, a truth teller so to speak allegedly according to him i just curious as to kind of your thought about that. Like, how did he make those inroads? And is that something that you'd expect to see continue? So, so it kind of messed me up too, Joel, uh, when I first saw that. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, acknowledge it or, 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 or put any validity behind it, I guess. Um, but then I kind of did a deeper dig. And, and, and you have to understand, you know, not you, you, I mean, you in general, I have to understand that, that, Typically, no one talks to, you know, the black voter in general, but no one really talks to the black man. Who talks to us? You know, I've I've never seen an agenda laid out for, you know, for black men. 
you know, that that never happens. And so we we've, we've gotten accustomed to the fact that no one will talk to us. Okay, they, they may come to our church every four years when they want you know votes in a general election, but nobody will talk specifically to us. And you know, love them or hate them, um, your man, <laughs> the previous administration, you know, had a tendency for saying the quiet part out loud, right? If he didn't mean it, if he wasn't sincere about it, most times he wasn't. But it never stopped him from saying it. And really, that's all it really took. You know, that's all it really took is for him to talk about, you know, the criminal justice system specifically in ways that affected black men and had the potential to be, you know, to be actionable in making inroads against. You know, he talked a very good game and he talked directly to a demographic that no one had talked to that plainly before. My hope is that somebody was taking notes. You know, my hope is that some politician took notes on that and get it and, and, and will directly speak to us the way that I've seen, you know, over the past, over the past year, you know, politicians addressing black women because they get it. Yes. Black women control the world. I'll be dead. <laughs> Everything. You know what I mean? And, and so that's happening. But I think Trump tapped into a certain uh, a, a certain a, a certain voice that was voiceless. And whether he was sincere about it or not, you know, it, it to an extent worked. You know, it, 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 it really frustrated me, made me a little upset, but then I had to realize what he's saying, what you know, what what what, what other Republican candidates and Democratic candidates were not saying at all in a very plain way that we could understand it and say, Yes, this is what we need. Yes. I dare say he gets us. You know, um, I don't know how actionable any of that stuff was. You know, politics is politics. So at the end of the day, you know, was he sincere about uh, uh, about about criminal reform, or did he want to just kind of have you know a, a celebrity moment and a photo out with Kim K? We'll never know. I have, you know, but Dion, Dion, yeah. I have two related questions because I, I I um I completely follow what you're saying here. So I actually have two trains of thought about why Trump made these inroads, and I guess I want to kind of road test them on you. Number one, um, we kind of went down memory lane earlier. We talked about our, our youth and kind of the music that we grew up listening to. And I can distinctly remember in the first 18, 20 years of my life, Donald Trump existed as a figment of celebrity culture, particularly he was this stand in for success. You saw him at Mike Tyson fights because he was at the casinos. You saw him in the Miss America pageant. You saw his name on these buildings. This is before he was a political figure. And it's so funny because there's an entire generation of people that's never going to know that that Donald Trump experience that I know we know from our first, you know, from, from the 25 years before the last five years. There was a Donald Trump that existed that had nothing to do with politics. And it had all to do with excess and fame and just famous for being famous, right? But he was also famous for being rich or allegedly being rich. And I think that there was something that was embedded, particularly in young black men growing up, thinking about, oh, wow, this guy, you know, self-made. What You know, again, it's all BS, but self-made millionaire, did all this stuff, uh, you know, kind of 
you know, bling, bling, everything. Like, Donald Trump is the stand-in for success. And I think that that particularly penetrated in the communities that we're talking about here. Um, and so I think that that's for one. And so you have that branding that existed for three decades. And it's hard to overcome that in five years. People still want to believe what they want to believe about Donald Trump. So that's one. I think the second piece is related to distrust of the system. And Donald Trump, one thing that the vein that he tapped into, and you brought this up a bit, was distrust of the system and the idea that everyone's a scoundrel and everyone's lying. And I will tell you, if you talk to black men, I've watched black male voter focus groups. Um, I've done this stuff for campaigns, for political activation work. Black men are among the most cynical among us in terms of political actors, voters, people who are involved in the process because they believe everyone's on the taker. They believe everybody's lying to them or they they think that everybody's working against their interest. And those are two places where Donald Trump, there was a it kind of came to him a little bit. The, 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 the moment and the atmosphere came to him a little bit, but also he has this way, I think, of reaching that population in a in a really I mean it's a disturbing way but it's really it's obvious right it's obvious that it had some some real impact curious about your thought on those two theories it's funny um when you mentioned you know the 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 past celebrity of Donald Trump my mind went to you remember the video from Bobby Brown on our own you might not even remember the video some of the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack oh yeah 89 I don't remember the video but I remember the song truth to that you know um there are a lot of people myself included that you know for me there was a heartbreak right there was a heartbreak like i think now at the fact that i used to really enjoy watching the apprentice and that seems like a million years ago to me i can't imagine you know myself sitting down and watching him knowing what i know now um so for me it was a heartbreak but for non-nerds who just kind of saw this man casually over the past 30 years, yes, there's definitely some validity to that. Like, you know, rap songs mentioned Donald Trump. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he was that dude. Or or the impression of him, you know, was that dude. Like, like he was able to kind of, con, you know, conjure up this this, 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 this this myth about who he was and his power and his money and his fame. And that, and, and that all went in the same bucket as... 80s excess you know it just kind of fit the times lifestyles of the rich and famous and robin leach it just kind of all kind of melded together and made this uh made this myth about who he was i i I, I just looked up as we were as we were talking i just looked up by the way raekwon incarcerated scarfaces at the end of at the end of one of his bars but guess who's the black trump i remember that's one of my favorite songs and it's just (laughs) but if you you could go through hip-hop and it's littered with little references and limericks and um you know, metaphors that mention Donald Trump. So just to your point, it's, it is it is embedded in the DNA of the culture that Donald Trump Absolutely. was success, right? And, it, and it's, hard, it's hard for me to turn off the part of me that, you know, digests, you know, MSNBC and CNN and, you know, like, like it, it, and be like the, the majority of us who don't eat, breathe, and sleep this stuff, who, who've seen him over the past 30 years on that level and now he's the president you know like like that sort of thing and not know all the nuances that got us to this point you know to not know 
the full extent of birtherism, the full extent of of, of his xenophobia, all the other stuff that kind of clouds his, his 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 legacy. Right? We just look at it from a surface level of you know he was that guy in the eighties. Yeah, I think that that plays into our mindset about who this man is now. But your second point, I think, was a lot um, uh, a lot deeper about the black man's psyche. Like, we come from a very cynical place. Like, you nailed it. We come from a very cynical place where we believe nobody has our back. Nobody has our back. We trust nothing, you know, at all. And so when you have, you know, the myth of him carried over to right now, plus, you know, his, 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 his blustery commentary where he'll say the quiet part out loud, you know, what the hell else do you have to lose? Like, like you know what? He's right. We'll say black men. You know what I mean? We'll say some black men. So I get that. I get that. So I was I was actually concerned, man. I was I, I, I was low key scared when, you know, when Kanye West, when Lil Wayne, you know, when Ice Cube, you know, began kind of speaking out because being a music guy, I know how influential, you know, those artists are. And I know people black and white who listen to what these artists have to say. And I didn't want that I didn't want their decision about the next four years of our lives to be compounded by, you know, what could be, you know, this shiesty union of Kanye West backing Donald Trump. And if or, you notice, and Dion, and Dion, I'm so glad you brought that up because if you notice, the black people that Donald Trump surrounds himself with all fit into his small worldview of what black, black people can do. We can dribble a basketball, we can sing. We can entertain, right? There was no black folks in this cabinet. There were only, it's, oh, you, you know who Ice Cube is. You know who Lil Wayne is. You know who Kanye West is. You, you, it, 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 was, it was so remarkable to me that they fit so neatly into his worldview of what black people were, right? That, that jumped out to me. So Jim Brown, right? Folks like yes. that, right? His worldview of, they can run. They can. They, oh, they're great. Yeah, I love Mike Tyson. That's his worldview. That is the extent of his yep. knowledge of black people. Meeting, but, uh, having a conversation with black folks like me and you right now, talking about his, he would he wouldn't he wouldn't dare find himself in this moment. No, they can run. They can jump. But you know what, Joel? They can't be president. That was his line. That was the line that he didn't cross. And so, God bless you for like bringing that knowledge to the forefront. Because at the end of the day. You know, if you're if you're a Kanye West fan, if you're an Ice Cube fan, and 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 you're a black man, and you see a certain camaraderie with Donald Trump, I've got news for you. You know, he doesn't think that the first black president was elected legitimately. He doesn't he, he doesn't think that he was actually born in this born in the United States. And so you can't you can't on the one hand say this guy gets us, and then the man who, who, who attains the highest position of, of power and authority in our country is not legitimate. Like you can't, you can't have that both ways. He can't, you know, he can't have a black, a, 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 a black man who, who thinks as well as, you know, as, as well as dribble. Have, you know what I mean? Like, like you? And, and that, 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 that was the thing that always kind of brought me down to a place of, of concern for those who, you know, supported, uh, supported Trump. Because of because their favorite rapper supported him. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's a respect there for black men that he clearly does not have. And the, and the more you dig into it, 
the more you find that out. Have you noticed a an impact on you know some of these folks that we're naming? And look, <clears throat> I I really do my best to try not to judge people about their politics. Um, I think people are entitled to vote for who they want to vote for. If you want to vote for a Republican, hey, go for it, man. Like I I, I can understand it. I I think I am entitled to question your judgment. But I'm not entitled to question your blackness. And I, I really do believe that. Right. So I don't want anyone who's a black Republican to think that, like, I'm I, I, I doubt your blackness. It's really about I just me as a Democrat. I question your judgment, just like I'm sure you question mine. Right. OK. But I guess from your perspective, again, looking at it from the music business angle, have you seen a negative impact on some of those folks, whether it's Kanye, whether it's um, Ice Cube, Lil Wayne? Have you seen them take a hit in their stature just from your purview with audience or just within the industry? So the culture keeps on moving, Joel. That's the one thing, man. Like, I, you know, I've been blessed to, to, to be in this biz, you know, back when I was saying new music from boys to men. <laughs> a brand new artist, you know, on the scene. New Jodeci, you know. And so I've seen this biz, you know, just kind of like, circle and reinvent and reinvent and reinvent and one thing that i know for sure is that you know talent always wins right talent always wins especially in this day and age of like disposable social media heroes and you know of cancel culture and that sort of thing like at the end of the day talent wins and so these artists take a hit social media wise yeah they get bruised in the comments section you know that that kind of thing but at the end of the day, you know, and in our position as an audio entertainment company, you know, we're, we're not the judge nor jury. So there was no, you know, we didn't drop all Kanye West records the next day. That's not what we're here for. You know, we didn't drop Lil Wayne records. It's not what we're here for. But when we back sold, you know, came in on the tail end of those Lil Wayne records, we may have said a little something. <laughs> you know what I mean? When we back sold Kanye, we came out as stronger. We may have said a little something, but it isn't our place to say, oh, no, we're going to drop all Kanye West records because dot, dot, dot. It's not our place, right? We're here to play, you know, we're here to play the records that, you know, research for us and have high consumption to, to bring us the highest, you know, number of subscribers possible. That's our business, right? So I will say that that, that their 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 image may have taken taken a slight hit or a slight ding, you know, some of those artists were already a little uh, <laughs> a little maligned in the image department before they aligned themselves with Trump. You know, a lot of them had issues that that that, that predate the uh, last administration. Granted, but if Kanye comes out with this bomb ass post breakup record, where he taps into his you know inner college dropout self and gives us old yay that we've been clamoring for and, you know, thirsty for, for years. If he gives us late registration, yay. If he gives us uh, uh, dark, twisted fantasy, yay. Like, he gives us that. We forgive the crazy, especially us. Us as black consumers, we are the most forgiving people on the planet when it comes to our culture. We'll forgive and forget like that. You know what I mean? Like, all it takes is a hit and we'll forget you're crazy. Like, go down the list of artists back in the day to, like, right now. You know, all it takes is a is, is a hot track, a hot record, and we'll overlook you crazy. We'll bring you back to the cookout. 
<laughs> That's a good way to put it. We'll bring you back. Still here comes the Payne Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. I'm coming down the towards the end of my conversation with Dion Summers. He is the VP of Urban Radio at Sirius XM. He's also the host of The Heat on Channel 46 on Sirius XM, one of my favorite stations. And we're having a really good conversation here just about all things, both pop culture, political, the intersection, um, a little bit of Kanye, a little bit of uh, Donald Trump, a little bit of uh, <laughs> Barack Obama. We hit Bill Clinton earlier. We, we're, we're, doing, we're doing all the hits. We're playing everything. Yeah. Um, Dion, as we close out our conversation here, I guess I'd just be kind of interested in you is, you know, look, we spent a little bit of time talking about Donald Trump. Um, we have a very different president in the White House now, and Joe Biden. And, you know, look, I think it's always it's hard for people to look past their own politics when we're, we're talking about this. But we're clearly in a different stage in the political life cycle where you have a president whose goal is not to make headlines every day. And I wonder from your perspective, the impact you've already seen to that end. Have you seen people remain engaged? Because I, I think you could argue engagement from the audiences that you are constantly in, in, talking to was at an all-time high over the last 18, 24 months. Have you seen that wean? Have you seen that transform um, into different kind of energy? Um, just kind of curious as to the kind of post-Trump go-forward look at um, political activism, people you know, talking and thinking about what's going on in the political world uh, from the hip-hop world. It's weird. I've seen two extremes. I've seen two extremes. I've seen the one extreme, Joel, where, you know, we were so engaged on every word, you know, like it got to the point where like at, at the peak of it last year, you know, those coronavirus press conferences was must-see television. It was a car accident every day at four o'clock. You know what I mean? You just could not look away from it. And like I said, you know, my mother was engaged. You know, people who were so politically passive were engaged. You know, the culture kind of fed that. You know, there was a, a such an important rush to vote that I hadn't seen since Puffy Voter died back in the early 2000s. You know, we were really engaged. And so now I see two extremes, brother. I see one extreme where, like, whoo, things are nice and boring again. Crickets. You hear that? Great. I see that on one extreme. And that worries me because we can't take our eyes off of this thing for a minute. Because you know, you know way better than I, you know, this pendulum's going to swing back in a minute for the midterms in two years, and then we'll be, you know, right back, well, not right back where we were, but, you know, we, we may lose, we may, may lose the House, lose the Senate, and, you know, then the next political year, you know, we might lose the presidency. This thing goes back and forth. So I see on one extreme a level of, like, all right, we can take our hand off the wheel now. He's there. Everything's boring. You know, Twitter is no longer on fire. We good. But on the other extreme, I see this. Okay, look. Bruh, Biden, we're going to give you a grace period to say, to, to give us, well, the previous administration left us unprepared for blank. We're going to give you that honeymoon for a minute. But trust and believe, you know, eventually you got to show up for us. You know, specifically because Biden, Biden made, you know, I wouldn't say a lot of promises because, you know, politicians don't do that. But there was a lot of smoke, man. There was a lot of smoke about, you know, him thinking 
black women and black folk for getting him elected. You know, he he said that in no uncertain terms, right? He knew he knew, you know, on whose back he walked into the White House on. And so black folk, we know that too. We haven't forgotten. So we want that. You know, we want to make sure that you're that, that, that you're held accountable for all the things that you said, all the pretty things that you said to us last year. Where is it? So you've got that that side as well. And that's the side that I hope that, you know, my brothers and sisters in the artist community remain engaged on. Hold this man to task as he wants you to. You know, I, I love the fact that he always prefaces a lot of what he says with, I'll never lie to you. You know, he gives us the truth as he sees it, no matter how grim it is, right? His his version of the truth, no matter how, you know, sad or or, 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 or despondent it is, right? I think it's up to us to hold not just Biden, but all of our political uh, elected officials accountable for what they say, even more so to the highest office in the land. Really enjoyed this conversation, Dion. Um, as you probably know, um, and as someone who does talking for a living, we could do this for hours. I'm going to spare you and let you get back to your evening, but um, I very much enjoyed this. Like, like when we set this up, I'm like, you know what? This is going to seem like a five minute conversation. It, it is. It's I know never he's enough. A talker and I'm a talker. We could do this all night. It's bro. never. Like, it's never it. enough. And and hopefully I can convince you to come back on and maybe we can get to some of those other things that you're talking about because you're right. I think you're right when you talk about Joe Biden. Um, he has his political fates uh, to black folks to thank for that. And I think he's going to be held accountable. So there's going to be a lot to talk about and hash out, uh, good, bad, and otherwise. And uh, I hope you, I'll, I'll get you to join me again uh, very soon. Dion Summers, VP of Urban Radio at Sirius XM, the host of The Heat on Channel 46, Sirius XM Radio, one of my favorites. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joel Payne. Dion, thank you again so much for joining. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to talking again down the line very soon. Thank you, man. As a fellow dog lover and dog owner, anytime, man. The I, door is open. I know we're both, proud. we're both proud of our dogs for being quiet throughout. Uh, let's not jinx the it. 60, right. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Let's do this again. Like, 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 she likes to survive, man. She kept it quiet for us. So God bless you. You got it, bro. God bless you, too. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. Thanks again, Dion. And thanks to all those listening. God bless and good night.